Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a special Veterans Day edition of the Second Podcast, honoring all veterans, including Baylor's two Congressional Medal of Honor winners, John Kane and Jack Loomis. The Sikkim Podcast is presented by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Ram Fiat, your friend in the car business. Now, here are your hosts, Brooke Bednars and the voice of the Bears, John Morris. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Sikkim Podcast on Veterans Day. We salute, we honor our veterans, and Brooke, today, in a special way, we honor uh, two men who were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor to Baylor students, Baylor grads, and Baylor student-athletes. Absolutely. They have fantastic stories that I know we're super excited to be able to share uh, their dedication, their selflessness to our country, and to have them representing Baylor and to have been awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor uh, is something that we need to celebrate, and I can't think of a better day to do so than today on Veterans Day. I agree. Very appropriate to honor Colonel John Riley Killer Kane, Baylor class of 1928, and First Lieutenant Andrew Jackson Jack Loomis, Baylor class of 1941. And here is Haig Sherman, a Baylor grad and CEO and Chief Investment Officer for Tectonic Advisors. And Haig, in his own words, tells us why he feels like it's so important to honor these Congressional Medal of Honor recipients with a statue on the grounds of Baylor University and McLean Stadium. Well, there were, there were 464 Medal of Honors um, awarded in World War II, and there were over 16 million servicemen and women. So if you think about it, your, your act to win a Medal of Honor immortalize you, just like you immortalize the Greeks at Marathon or Thermopylae or uh, our soldiers during the Civil War. This immortalized those, those men forever. And so to me, having two Congressional Medal of Honor winners who are also Letterman at Baylor sets Baylor apart. And that allows us to be able to tell the story of these men, their heroism, what they gave for their country and how they led their men that also sinks into Baylor's mission, which is, it's not about educating, not just about educating, it's also about leadership and service and duty, and also to be willing to sacrifice your life. You have to, you have to have faith, you know, faith in God, faith in your fellow man, faith in humanity. And so faith is a central element, in my view, of these men, and also it's a central element to Baylor's mission. And so to me, educating this generation and subsequent generations about the sacrifices that were made, the heroism of these men, you want that to translate as much as you can to this generation 
so that they understand those sacrifices, the heroism, but also so that they can walk away from it thinking about the central elements that Baylor tries to imbue on them, which is leadership, service, duty, and also, um, yeah, and faith. When, when uh, John Kane and Jack Loomis were walking Baylor's campus, they had those elements in them. I think we have a current generation of Baylor students that have those elements within them. While they may not be called to do something as harrowing as what Kane and Loomis uh, were called to do, in their everyday lives, they can live these, these virtues out. And maybe this will make them think about the virtues that were um, embedded in, in Cain and Loomis. And, and again, to be inspired by them, but in today's world. We're hearing from Haig Sherman, the driving force behind the bronze statues that will be dedicated into the memory of and to help us all celebrate and honor the two Congressional Medal of Honor recipients that represent Baylor. And now we're going to hear a little bit about the backstory of Colonel John Riley, Killer Kane, class of 28. And now we're going to hear a little bit of his story from growing up in Central Texas, attending Baylor, playing sports here as a Baylor Bear, and then serving our country. He was born in McGregor. He's the son of a preacher. He went to Baylor and played football and basketball, and he was on the fatal bus ride that gave rise to the 10 deaths that led to the Immortal 10 legacy at Baylor. So in addition to being a war hero, he also features in another prominent part of Baylor history along with his father being a preacher. So he grew up in Texas, went to Baylor, played basketball and football, and then he enlisted in the Air Force. And so he was a career military man, unlike Loomis. And so he was already a mature squadron leader when he led his uh, iconic mission to bomb Ploesti, tail flying at low altitude over the Mediterranean, across mountainous Greece, and then into Romania, which is where Hitler's main refineries were that fueled the, the, the Nazis. So as they were flying at low altitude over the Mediterranean to evade Hitler's radar system once you got into Europe, and they got detached from the main group. The element of surprise had been lost because the main group had already bombed Ploesti. Instead of turning back, he forged on and fulfilled his mission even though They'd already bombed Ploesti. Flames were shooting up in the sky up to his aircraft. You had any aircraft guns shooting at him. They'd already scrambled the fighters. And so he fulfilled his mission along with his men. So again, risking his life again, he circled Ploesti to allow the rest of the planes to fall in behind him to fly out. And he crash landed in Cyprus because he didn't have enough fuel to get back to North Africa. And for that, he won the Congressional Medal of Honor. So just an iconic story, an iconic man, and one of great leadership. And his nickname was Killer Kane. And he didn't particularly like the nickname. He was named that by German intelligence because of his daring. But his men loved him. He was kind of a gruff guy, but his men loved him. And they'd follow him to the gates of hell. And indeed they did. 
The Black is back. It's the Black Friday sales event at Allen Samuels. Get special holiday deals on the truck of your dreams, like a brand new Ram Lone Star Crew Cab with special factory discounts and financing, or grab hold of the Swiss Army Knife of SUVs, Jeep Gladiator, and head for holiday adventure. The Black is back. The Black Friday sales event from Allen Samuels, your friend in the car business. Whether on the field or cheering from home, Du Bois Furniture is proud to support the Baylor Bears. If your bear cave needs updating, Du Bois Furniture is here to help. With over 59 years of our family serving yours, let our experienced sales team help you find exactly what you want. We specialize in custom upholstery, stunning dining rooms, elegant bedrooms, gorgeous leather, and top quality mattresses. Come see us in Waco and Temple or visit us online at DuBoisFurniture.com. Du Bois Furniture, where beautiful homes happen. You're listening to this week's Sikkim Podcast, a production of Baylor Athletics, presented by Alan Samuels, Dodge, Chrysler, Jeep, Ram, Fiat, on the web at alansamuelsdcj.com. We continue with Haig Sherman. Haig is the driving force behind the bronze statues that are being erected in honor of Baylor's two Congressional Medal of Honor recipients. Now more on Jack Loomis, Baylor Class of 1941. I think the thing that resonated with me being from Central Texas is both these men are from Central Texas. So Jack Loomis grew up on a farm in Ennis, Texas, which is about 75 miles northeast of Waco. And so if you look at Baylor during that era before, it drew kids from Central Texas. It wasn't this global institution that we see today. It really drew kids from Central Texas who are looking for an opportunity to better themselves. And so in, in Jack's case, He grew up on a farm in the middle of the Depression, so his family hit hard times, but he still managed to be a a two-sport star in in his high school, and then he enrolled at Baylor and became a two-sport All-American, which is very rare. He was an All-American in for Baylor football team. He was also an All-American baseball player, and some say that he was a much better baseball player than he was football player. So when he graduated from Baylor, he played pro baseball for a time before he uh, began to play for the New York Giants. And so his career was only one season. But he played for the Giants in 1941. And so in one of their final games at the Polo Grounds, it was on December 7th. So they got word that the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. And the bombing was going on as they were playing. So they were informed after the game and so they finished out the seasons. Giants had a great season, and they played for the NFL championship. But then Jack immediately enlisted in the Marines because he felt called to service. And so if you look at his life, it was much shorter. He was ultimately uh, deployed to the Pacific. And so one of our great battles towards the end of the Pacific War against the Japanese was Iwo Jima, which was an important island southeast of the main island that was an important launching ground for a potential invasion of Japan and it was fiercely fortified by the Japanese and it's a volcanic island so very rough terrain and so Jack was one of the first waves ashore with his men and then he was at the base of Mount Suribachi so again this notion of service and leadership he was leading his men he was tasked with an almost impossible objective which is to take out fortified position at the base of Mount Suribachi. 
rather than leading his men to do that, he launched a one-man attack against fortified Japanese positions at the base of the mountain. So he launched himself. He was hit by a grenade and wounded, but he forged forward and took out one Japanese pillbox and then a second before going back to his men. So think about this. This is the leader of the platoon and a very different person than, than John Kane, a quieter, perhaps a more laconic person, but a leader nonetheless. So he went back, got his men, and then led them, and they were behind him, and he was hit by another grenade before taking out the third Japanese pillbox. After he did that, he hit a landmine that blew off his legs. And so his men rallied around him, but instead of him asking for their help, he exhorted them forward. So they wanted to sit, or they wanted to fall back and help him, but he exhorted them forward. So with tears in their eyes, they forged forward to accomplish their mission. He was ultimately taken back to the Army Hospital at the, uh, at the base of Mount Suribachi. It shows you what type of person he was, just, uh, again, a, a very stoic but, but graceful human being. And as he lay dying, his last words were, were, well, Doc, it looks like the New York Giants lost a mighty fine end today. And those were his last words. The great thing about sports is there are different types of leaders. And I think you can definitely see in both of these men the different types of leaders that they were which is number one, Kane is a very confident, you know, maybe not brusque, but confident. You can see where he might be uh, a more vocal part of the clubhouse in leading his men, whether it's playing football or basketball, or leading his men in war. And if you look at Loomis, he seems to be more the silent leader, lead by example. But both these are very powerful leadership styles recognizes different styles of leadership and both of them are very powerful and that allowed them to lead their men, in, in their case, lead their men safely um, in battle. We just heard from Mr. Haig Sherman the stories of Colonel John Kane as well as First Lieutenant Andrew Jack Loomis. But we do, John, we want to take another moment to honor and thank Haig and Millette Sherman. They stepped forward with a leadership gift and then commissioned another Baylor graduate, Dan Brooke, class of 83, to sculpt bronze statues in honor of our two Baylor Congressional Medal of Honor recipients that will stand at McLean Stadium Plaza and be unveiled here in the coming weeks. Again, you know, my, my hope is that this is a gathering spot where people, again, can time and time again read the story about the heroism of these men and their stories, which are very different. I mean, they're very different men and very striking, very different poses, both strong leaders, but lead, they led in different ways. The, the confidence of, of Cain, chest forward, addressing his men, and then a more laconic, graceful, tall um, Loomis who's striking the pose of David before he goes off into battle against Goliath. And, and Loomis's case with his uh, rifle over his shoulder as he's looking towards um, the one-man assault that he'd ultimately launch. So those resonate, and I think they'll resonate with people 
who look at them time and time again, who'll catch a different element of the statues as they look on them time and time again. So to be a high traffic area, that was important, located where Baylor fans and also visitors alike can admire them. To me, it's, it's our Baylor family is the best of our Baylor family. It represents the best in us, what these men did. And so that's something as hosts, when people come into our family, to our stadium to visit, even though we're trying to win a football game, we can tell that story about the Baylor family and what these men did and, and their ideals. But it also binds us together with the rest, with, with our visitors, which is, this is not just Baylor history, this is American history. This is fundamental to our country. So this is the best way, in my opinion, to showcase the Baylor family, our ideals, to those who we are hosting, but more importantly, where they can walk away from our campus and feel good about the visit, the Baylor community, and also about our country. So those, to me, were the important facets to the genesis of this project. If you need a trailer, Flat Rock Trailers has got you covered. From light-duty single-axle utility trailers to the big text tandem duels. We also carry a full line of enclosed cargo trailers. Need a motorcycle trailer? We've got them. Need a dump trailer? We've got the largest selection in the state. Oil field trailers? We carry a full line of big text trailers to handle all your needs. Trailer repairs? We repair all makes and models. We'll even rent you a trailer if you need to use one for a day. Flat Rock Trailers, your number one source for all your trailer needs. Find us at flatrocktrailers.com. To say my wife and I have a lot to clean is an understatement. So we go to TNG Chemical, where the pros know what cleaning solutions to use and give us detailed instructions on exactly how to use them. We never got that kind of advice from any other stores. And the prices at TNG are great, from general household cleaners to odor control solutions for our pets. We go to TNG Chemical and Supply. That's why. TNG Chemical and Supply. That's why. You're listening to a special Veterans Day edition of the Sikkim Podcast. Subscribe and download the Sikkim Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sikkim Podcast. I'm Brooke Bednars alongside the voice of the Bears, John Morris. And we've been listening to Mr. Haig Sherman, the benefactor to the two bronze statues that will soon stand outside of McLean Stadium on the banks of the Brazos, honoring Baylor's two Congressional Medal of Honor recipients. We also are now going to take a little bit of a turn, and John Morris is going to visit with two others. That This is a little bit of a tie-in with the Lunch of the Legend uh, series that he does, in which they took the time to also honor these Congressional Medal of Honor recipients. And so, John, I guess we'll let you tee it up and introduce us to the two that you were able to visit with in this special moment. Yeah, visited with two men who are uh, very familiar with Baylor history, and in the case of our first guest very familiar with World War II history. You'll hear from Brad Livingstone. He's the first gent at Baylor University. Always great when we can sit down with him. And Brad is a World War II expert, teaches uh, teaches history in that subject at Vanguard Preparatory School here in Waco. And then we'll hear from Alan Lefevre, who literally wrote the book on the history of Baylor athletics. Alan is an adjunct professor at Truett Seminary. He is also the director of the Texas Baptist Historical collection. As such, he is very well versed in the history of these two men and their place in Baylor history and 
Baylor athletics history. Brad, let me start with you. Uh, for those of us who may not be may not be that knowledgeable of, from a military uh, perspective on the Congressional Medal of Honor, the significance of that. Kind of give us some context on the significance of the Congressional Medal of Honor. Sure, John. Um, I've, I've had the opportunity to actually meet one, one individual uh, that, that received the Congressional Medal of Honor or the Medal of Honor. Uh, and, and he was in my classroom. And it was here in, uh, oh, excuse me, it was, it was in California when I was teaching. And uh, I introduced him, and this is when I found never introduce somebody like this. I introduced, his name was Walt Ehlers. And I introduced him as a winner of the Congressional Medal of Honor. And he was very nice, but he corrected me. And he said, young man, which I really appreciate him calling nice, me young man. Right? Uh, you don't win the Medal of Honor, you receive it. And in many cases, you've, you don't really feel you've even earned it. And that's, that was a lesson to me. So from that point on, any uh, recipient of any medal in the military, uh, they receive it. Uh, they didn't win it. So uh, it's, it's an amazing, it's the highest award. A lot of people call it the Congressional Medal of Honor. It is, it is presented by the president, but it's approved by Congress, but its official name is Medal of Honor. Mm. And, um, and there, were, there, there weren't that many. There were 16 million men and women that served in World War II alone, and very few individuals received. In fact, I, I crunched the numbers. Uh, you had a 0.003% chance of receiving the, the, the Medal of Honor wow. during World War II. So, um, so it, it, it's a very prestigious honor. There is no higher honor. I met another recipient of the Medal of Honor uh, when I was teaching in the Washington, D.C. area a few years ago. And I did not know this, that uh, you could be a private first class if you've received the, the Medal of Honor uh, and you walk by a general and you're wearing that Medal of Honor, they salute you. Oh, wow. Even if you're a private. Uh, it's, it's as prestigious as it gets in the military. Okay, so given how distinguished that is, how rare is it for Baylor University, not a military institution, but for Baylor University to have two Medal of Honor winners from our school? Well, and, and, and regardless if it's a military institution or not, to have two individuals receive it is, is incredible percentage-wise, uh, given the numbers that we talked about earlier. But to have Baylor University have two recipients of the Medal of Honor is extraordinary. And then when you go into their particular stories and, and, and how they uh, earned it and then received it with grace is, is incredibly remarkable. Alan, let's dive into those stories, the histories of these two guys, uh, John Kane and Jack Loomis, come from very different backgrounds. Tell us how they ended up, both those guys ended up at Baylor. Well, it, it's a very interesting story. John Kane's story could be like many Baylor students today. His dad was actually a Baylor graduate, had both a bachelor's and master's from Baylor, and was a prominent Southern Baptist preacher. And so he basically was probably like many Baylor alum, he was probably predestined to attend Baylor. Whereas uh, Jack Loomis, he his family was struggling during the Depression when uh, he'd actually dropped out of high school and had gone to a a military college for a couple of years and had been scouted by Tulane, was basically going to head to Tulane until he got an offer to come to Baylor and came to the campus. And uh, so one 
a very normal course with with uh, Loomis. It was, I think he got the offer, saw the campus, and wanted to come. But his family really struggled during the Depression, so it was a, basically a gift that he was able to be at Baylor. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned both these guys are letter winners, athletic letter winners here at Baylor. We're very proud of that fact. But uh, tell us about their, their career, uh, what their careers looked like here at Baylor, and for uh, Loomis, what it looked like beyond Baylor. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, John Kane didn't have a standout athletic career. He was, a, he was, in many ways, a good athlete, not a great one. He played basketball for three years here at Baylor, football for one. Uh, and but he seemed to enjoy all the aspects of being uh, part of the college life. Whereas uh, Jack Loomis, he was a gifted athlete. In fact, Lloyd Russell will say four years later that there was no better center fielder that he had seen than Jack Loomis. Uh, but he was also a gifted football player. A played end was a, and he was built as an athlete, six three, two hundred pounds. Uh, Russell would talk about how fluid he was. And uh, his senior year, he he dropped out of Baylor, actually, with 25 other students to sign up for, for training in the Army Air Corps. Uh, didn't finish school. His grades were fine. But it was like he was ready to get on with the next step of his life. And it was after that that the Giants, the New York Giants, drafted him uh, to play for them. And uh, after he washed out of the Air Corps, he decided to give the Giants a try. And back then, the rosters for NFL teams only had 33 players on it. So most players played both ways, and he certainly did as a, as a defensive lineman and then as a, an end, a tight end that we would say today. And, uh, and he had a good, not an outstanding first year, as you wouldn't expect a young rookie to have, but they saw great promise in him. And uh, then when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor soon after that in January of 1942, he signed up for the Marines and was ready to go. Hmm. What was it so when World War II broke out, uh, like so many young men that age in that era, uh, they signed up, they enlisted. What was it that uh, really possessed these two guys to enlist at that time? Well, it, with Jack Loomis, it was a direct tie to, to getting in the war. Kane had actually been a career military man. He. He wanted to go to med school after Baylor, but he couldn't stand the smell involved mm. with medicine. And so he went home for a while, worked on his grandfather's ranch, then uh, then signed up for the military. And from 31, in 31, he started to train as a pilot. In 34, he was discharged and went back. He sold some homes, literally dug some ditches. You know, if you wonder what a Baylor degree will do for you sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, but then he... Uh, he was called up for the military in 35. So when World War II broke out, he had already been back in the service for six years, well-trained as a pilot and ready to step up. Okay. Another part of uh, John Kane's Baylor legacy is he was a member of the Immortal Ten. I mean, as if what he had done militarily was not enough. He was a member of the Immortal Ten basketball team. You know, the tragic uh, railroad uh, bus crash in Round Rock, January of 1927. Uh, how did that shape, he, he obviously was one who survived the crash, but how did that shape his future from that point forward? I think it dr drastically colored the rest of his life. And, you know, when you delve into who John Kane was afterwards, uh, he, his senior year, he didn't play sports. He got involved in theater at Baylor. He was in, in chamber. He was in the pre-med club. 
the tragedy that night and what he must have seen and the friends that he lost, I think, altered the rest of his life. Some of the people who served with him in the service said that he was cold and apart from them. One of them said that uh, uh, they asked him, and he said, I'm not here to be your mother. I'm here to save your life. And I think he, I really wonder if that experience with being on that bus, seeing that tragedy, made him detach a little bit. And then there's the fact that the missions that he did, you know, and, and, and even the mission where he won the Medal of Honor, I mean, these are these were at great risk to his life. And it almost seems to me like that experience may have emboldened him to realize he had this higher calling and he did it uh, throughout his military career. He just, he stepped up. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think had he not, I wonder as a historian, and Brad, you probably think about this too, as, as a historian, what if, what would he have been like had he not been through that tragedy? How would that have colored who he was? Because I think it had a great impact on, on exactly what he became. Yeah. Brad, any thoughts on that? Well, and, and, and I absolutely agree with that, Alan. The, uh, you know, the, the events that take place in our lives help shape our futures. And uh, I have no doubt that that had something to do with it. That was such an, uh, uh, an incredible event that he survived. Um, and, and, I've, and I've talked to so many veterans that have gone through uh, death-defying experiences where they feel like, number one, they feel like they've been given a, uh, a lease on life again, that they can do some extraordinary things. And, uh, and I have no doubt that that, that played in his, his mind on that during World War II. Sounds like uh, death-defying sometimes is life-defining. And maybe that was the case with, uh, with him. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And his story is absolutely amazing in the sense of uh, what he was able to experience uh, during World War II. Brad, historically, John Cain served in the European theater, uh, Jack Loomis in the Pacific theater. Yes. Give us, give us a sense of what the differences were, what were those guys, what was the difference in the wars that they were involved in by those locations? Well, and the, the locations themselves, as far as uh, you, you have the whole gamut. In the Pacific Theater, depending if you fought in the northern part of the Pacific Theater, that can be a, a little bit colder and cooler, or in the South Pacific, which is a lot more humid and hot. Uh, of course, uh, Jack Lu Loomis, uh, Lieutenant Loomis, he uh, fought in Iwo Jima. And uh, Iwo Jima is considered one of the... Um, bloodiest battlefields in the history of the United States. And uh, it was one of the few places that actually had more uh, U.S. casualties than Japanese casualties. And, uh, and, I've, and I've had an opportunity to visit with a number of individuals who survived um, uh, the, the Battle of Iwo Jima. Of course, uh, Lieutenant Loomis did not. But his story on how he was able to uh, carry his men forward in being able to uh, secure that island, which which literally saved uh, hundreds of others uh, that were fighting behind him, uh, of course he lost his life in that in that battle too. But just a horrendous battlefield on both sides, both the the Americans and the Japanese. The Japanese were actually told, "You're going to die, but before you die, you need to kill at least ten Americans." And so they knew that they knew that this was the, the Japanese knew this is their last battle. Uh, and the Americans had to fight through that determination. 
Uh, and it lasted, the Battle of Iwo Jima lasted for more than a month. Uh, and and, and in, that, in that particular month, extraordinary uh, uh, acts of uh, heroism. And of course, uh, uh, Lieutenant Loomis is numbered among them. The Black is back. It's the Black Friday sales event at Allen Samuels. Get special holiday deals on the truck of your dreams, like a brand new Ram Lone Star Crew Cab with special factory discounts and financing. Or grab hold of the Swiss Army Knife of SUVs, Jeep Gladiator, and head for holiday adventure. The Black is back. The Black Friday sales event from Allen Samuels, your friend in the car business. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I try to stay, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Sausage wraps on there, the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. This is the Sikkim Podcast, presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat in Waco, online at alansamuelsdcj.com. These men lived and in uh, Jack Loomis's case died more than 80 years ago. What, what is the value in preserving their story, the history, what they went through with these monuments? Uh, what, what is the value that we can gain from that? Well, I think, I think one of the, the, the most important is that we don't forget. Um, we, we, we live in a time in the United States where we feel, you know, there's, there are certain things that are happening that, that seem very um, uh, problematic. But when you go back and you look at what people have been able to go through uh, and, and, and succeed and, and really help uh, form the country that we, we enjoy today, um, there's, there's, it's very important for us to appreciate that. And, and there are so many stories today. Um, we, we hear about some of the more famous individuals, but like I, uh, like I'd mentioned before, over 16 million Americans, men and women served in world war two or, or even more so in the military. And most of their stories, no one knows. Uh, and it's so important to capture those stories and be able to pre- present to the younger generations. This is what, and this is why I love teaching at the high school level, because a lot of these veterans were my high school uh, students' ages when they were doing these incredible mm-hmm. events. And, and, you know, high school students, and myself included, and I'm sure the rest of us, when we were seniors in high school, we were worried about what car are we going to drive, what, you know, who are we going to take out uh, on a date uh, for the weekend. They were fighting for survival. Uh, in faraway places, uh, Pulaski Airfields, uh, Iwo Jima, uh, like both of our, our veterans here. So it's really important to be able to capture their stories and be able to present it to others so we can appreciate the freedoms that we, that we enjoy here in the United States today. Alan, uh, as Brad said, you know, high school students, that was the age of these guys, college students, their age, pretty much the same. How can our students here uh, appreciate and understand, uh, can just learn to appreciate the stories of John Kane and uh, and also Jack Loomis. I think that it goes in line with the even the light poles we have around the campus that that are to people who have in many cases given their lives in 
in defense of the country, and that is that there are great things that each of us can do. A lot of times we read these stories and we think, oh, well, that was an extraordinary person. Well, that wasn't an extraordinary person until they had to be. And both Loomis and Kane, when when they needed to step up, they did. And I and I hope as students walk by, they realize that they have that same power inside them, that in in any crisis situation, they can step up and meet the demands of the moment. As we mentioned, these statues will be located uh, along the Bear Walk, where the Baylor football team comes into the stadium. They'll walk right beside these statues of these uh, larger-than-life former football student-athletes and Medal of Honor winners. What is the benefit you see there for student-athletes, you know, being able to cross right in front of the path of those statues? Man, if you can't get inspired as an athlete (laughs) walking in front of those guys, I don't know what else can inspire you. I mean, to just remind them that what they're doing on any given Saturday is a game and that there's so much out in front of them, even though – Loomis's life was short. I mean, what an amazing life he had. And Kane, he lived a long time and, and, and helped literally, both men saved countless lives because of their actions. I think it's a reminder that, to athletes that this chapter of their life may be short, but there's so many other great things they can do. Maybe when no one sees, or no one is certainly there to cheer, but they can make an impact on the world, regardless of the crowd. Like a pregame pep speech, right? There. <laughs> In the making for sure. I can see that. I'm coming. ready to go play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well done, Alan. Uh, there, there is that tie, Brad, between uh, you know what these guys did in the military, Medal of Honor winners, but also mm-hmm. student athletes, and that could be. I mean, that could be awe inspiring to current student athletes, without a doubt. And not not only current student athletes, but current students in general. Anyone that walks by, and I'm sure that there'll be many individuals that will walk by that will be inquisitive. Who is this person? Um, you know, when we walk by uh, RG3, everybody knows who RG3 is. Uh, but who are these individuals? And then allow uh, students, student athletes, or just alumni to, to dig a little bit deeper to find out why, why are we honoring these two individuals? They're incredibly special people, but I love what Alan said is that uh, they're really ordinary individuals that did extraordinary things when they were called upon. And, uh, and that's inspiring, very inspiring for all of us. So these two statues here on, uh, on this side of the interstate, just on the other side of the interstate, just up MLK Boulevard, is the uh, great tribute to Doris Miller. And uh, Dory Miller, I know you probably talked about him a lot in your classes through the years. What a tremendous uh, uh, memorial that is to him and a tremendous marker and, and motivating factor for all of us who live here in Waco in Central Texas. Exactly right. And I drive by that memorial twice a day on my way from Baylor to Vanguard. Uh, and uh, I'm so thankful that it's there. I'm so thankful that it was dedicated. The story of Dory Miller is extraordinary. And again, an individual that not only um, uh, did an extraordinary thing at Pearl Harbor, uh, he served upon, uh, he served on the USS West Virginia. And when the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor, um, he went above and beyond his own personal training and uh, saved, saved a number of people's lives, but also was able to mount a, um, a 20 millimeter 
um, uh, cannon and, uh, and shoot down a number of Japanese warplanes, never having ever trained on that particular anti-aircraft gun. Um, and and, and that for somebody to, to recognize that. One of the things that, that has to happen in order for somebody to receive the Medal of Honor is that you have to have at least two live witnesses from, for what you're doing. And many individuals that did, did extraordinary things, there was no one that either survived that witnessed that um, or there weren't that many people around and they did that on their own. So some individuals, even though they did extraordinary things that probably deserved the Medal of Honor, they, they couldn't receive it because there weren't eyewitnesses to that particular event that survived the, the event. And so with Doris Miller, obviously there, there were because he wasn't going anywhere. There were people watching that. And uh, for him to be able to not only do that extraordinary thing on, at, at Pearl Harbor, but then to break through the color barrier that existed in all of the United States military. We were a segregated military throughout World War II. He was the very first African-American to receive the Navy Cross. Uh, people, some people thought he should and still think that he should have received the uh, Medal of Honor. Uh, and there's still a push for that. Um, but to, to know that we have one uh, who grew up here in Waco, uh, was a boxing champion on the West Virginia, uh, Dr. Uh, Mike Parrish has written an extraordinary book on Doris Miller, uh, talking about really that helped um, um, really push us into the modern day civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And to know that that individual grew up here in Waco, Texas, Doris Miller, uh, uh, should make us all very, very proud of where we live. Yeah. To close our part of the discussion today, this is Veterans Day. And isn't it uh, fitting that we can spend part of Veterans Day saluting these heroes like Doris Miller, like John Cain, like Jack Loomis? Exactly right. And, and, and literally the millions of others that served. And uh, one of the things, and we, we've had to downplay it during COVID, but one of the things that uh, I, I train my students, high school students, is that I'll load them up in the van and we'll go to, we'll, we'll go to Walmart or we'll go to HEB and I'll look at my watch. I said, you've got 10 minutes, go find veterans and shake their hand and say, thank you for serving our country. And you see them just spread out and it, and they get so excited about being able to say thank you. But what the veterans, cause they're not expecting it. These elderly men, and in some cases, uh, women that wear the hats, it makes it very easy uh, going up and being thanked by uh, a young uh, man or a young woman. It, it absolutely uh, uh, astonishes them. And I think shatters a, a great stereotype, a negative stereotype that some, some that served in the military that are older, they, all they hear about are negative things many times about the younger generation. And it shatters that stereotype that, that we've got some great, amazing young men and women that are very thankful for our veterans and will go out of their way to find them and say thank you and shake their hands. That's a great exercise. Mm -hmm. That's great. Alan, final thought, uh, two great representatives of Baylor athletics through the years here, but boy, so much even more beyond what they did here at Baylor. I think one thing I do want to point out for all of us as Baylor Bears to remember is that there is no other uh, school to my knowledge outside of the military academies that have had two athletes that have won the Medal of Honor except Baylor University. 
Thanks again to Brad Livingstone and Alan Lefevre. We appreciate their expertise. You heard from Haig Sherman earlier in our podcast. And we just want to take this time to say thanks to all veterans. Uh, you are uh, saying thank you is not enough, but I hope you feel our heartfelt thanks for your service to our country. And certainly we uh, spotlight uh, John Killer Kane and Jack Loomis today. But to all veterans on this Veterans Day, we just say thank you. And we also want to say thank you to the about 160 veterans that we currently have on our Baylor campus that are working with the VETS program, the Veteran Educational and Transitional Services. That's a program that Baylor has that we're very fortunate that they do. And so today we want to honor and thank those 160 uh, veterans who are currently attending Baylor as well. So with a heart of thankfulness to all of our veterans and uh, saluting especially our Congressional Medal of Honor recipients, John Killer Kane and Jack Loomis, we thank you for listening to this week's Sikkim Podcast. We appreciate you being with us here. We'll have another edition of the Sikkim Podcast next week. You've been listening to the Sikkim Podcast, presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat in Waco, online at alansamuelsdcj.com. The Sikkim Podcast has been a production of Baylor Athletics.